You slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that at home in a premeditated manner than in our pews during our sermons. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In Podcast. You'll miss out on some stuff we think is pretty important, like intergenerational community and the ways in which people can support each other through the music and children enjoying communion, perhaps. And we won't be able to give you cookies or cake or any of the other good, yummy things that we have after church, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts or perfect preachers. We're your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. You started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working or coaching your kid's soccer team, or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon we gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, uh, we ask that you would just keep your mind open and your heart open. And a quick note. We're really, we're really passionate about what we talk about, but we don't expect that you are going to agree with everything we say or not. In fact, we hope that you will question and disagree and figure out what you think. But through it all, we hope that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So on Sunday, we kicked off our stewardship campaign as well, which is our annual helping the congregation think about how they will give themselves to support the community, which means financially and with their time and talent and skills and all of that inside the church and outside the church. Uh, But we also kicked off our staff appreciation month. Mm -hmm. October is pastor appreciation month. So if you haven't bought your card yet, go out and buy one now. Or if you're part of a church where perhaps you don't experience Pastor Appreciation Month, perhaps you mention it to whoever the team is that is supposed to support staff so that they might have an opportunity to say thank you because pastors work pretty hard um, and it's nice to to do that. And so we we turned it into Staff Appreciation Month Mm because there's a lot of people uh, who do the work of the church and we tag it onto stewardship because it's a way of saying, hey, these people and the things that they do for you and your family this is what you're supporting yep. when you give financially to the church. And so uh, so we did that. So I started off the sermon on Sunday by saying, uh, happy Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we dug into it. And what we do is we invite all of the retired pastors back, all of retired pastors, any former pastor of the church, associate, senior pastor, whatever, to come back and join us that Sunday and serve communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's nice to see them again for the people who still remember them and love them and all of that. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. But for the children's moment, we talked about what do pastors do? Mm-hmm. And the kids stared blankly. And I said, that's about how much everybody else knows about what pastors do too. <laughs> and so I asked them if they could point and they said, yes. And I said, well, point to the window in the back of the church. And they pointed to the window and point to this and point to that. And they pointed to all these things. And I said, you have just done what pastors do. And they said, what? And I said, we point out where God shows up in mm-hmm. the world. And so whether it's in the stories that are reflected in the stories in our windows or in the people who do all of the work here or in the music that we're all singing together, um, it's our job to help people see where God's moving in the world and in their lives. And so if you can keep your eyes open and help people see where good things are happening, then you are doing the work of a pastor. We do some other things too, like committee meetings and stuff like that. <laughs> you didn't just settle it on the on the fun stuff? Okay, Yeah, good, good, preaching good, and Bible fun. study. But, but the general idea is that we are constantly trying to see where God's showing up. Right. 
And so we had communion and sent them on their way. And then we dug into it with the adults. Mm-hmm. And the reason we do the same sort of message at children's moment as we do with the adults is because they're not always listening to the real sermon, but really? they might pick up the children's they, sermon. They might. That's they might. the that's the primer lesson yeah. that we build on for the rest of the, the rest of the time. So the scripture was from Matthew chapter twenty one, and it's the story of Jesus teaching in the temple, mm-hmm. and the temple authorities come up and question him and say, why? How can you do this? Yeah, what, who gives you the authority to do these things? Who, who let you in? Yeah, uh, but what they're not referring to are just the teachings that he's doing, because this is the day after he's caused a huge ruckus by mm-hmm. riding into town on a donkey and flipping over the tables right. in the temple uh, and totally disrupting the financial system at the temple. Right. So what they're really saying is, how dare you? Right. And Jesus answers in a typical Jesus way, which is that he doesn't answer. He doesn't give you a straight answer. He asks another question. And so what he asks is, by whose authority did John baptize? And the authorities know they can't answer that question because if they say John baptized on God's authority, then the crowds are going to say, well, then why did you undermine him? Mm -hmm. And if they say John baptized on his own authority as a human and not on any kind of holy authority, the crowds would turn on him because they had been moved by John's ministry. And so they knew they couldn't answer the question. So they said, you know, we prefer not to answer that. And Jesus says, well, then I prefer not to answer answer you. Yeah. So he didn't answer. But then he told this parable. And the parable. I love a parable. I know. I got to love a parable. Good old Jesus story. Uh, It's about two kids Mm -hmm. um, who their father goes to each of them and tells them to go work in the field. Oh, right. And the older son says, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. And then later changes his mind and ends up working in the field. The other son says, sure, yeah, I'm on my way right now. And then never gets there. Right. And Jesus says, which one of them did the will of their father? And they have to say, well, the the guy who said he wasn't going to go and then went. And Jesus says, of course, yeah, because... Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, (laughs) repentance is better than hypocrisy, right? Like to change your mind and do what you're supposed to do do. is better than pretending you're doing the right thing and then not doing it at all. Right. And he ends this particular story by telling them that the prostitutes and tax collectors who have been able to see God moving in the life of John and in the message of Jesus are way ahead of the Pharisees who are constantly trying to undermine any expression of the Holy Spirit that they are not in charge of. Yeah. So this is, this is the story that we come to on pastor appreciation Sunday, pastors being religious authorities. Um, And so I thought that was, so by what authority, Chris, by what authority? Well, what I did say was um, all of us, who were there, all of the retired clergy who were there and myself uh, had been through a rigorous examination and certification process to become ordained clergy in the United Methodist Church. And so the United Methodist Church has given us authority. But what we check for in that eight-year process is not whether or not you can hit a deadline, although that's part of it. Yes. It's really about, do we see God moving in this person's life? Do we see God moving in this person's ministry? And if we can say yes, then we say, yeah, you're in. Mm -hmm. But we don't expect that every person that God moves through or works through or that has wisdom and compassion and leadership skills is going to become a pastor. Right. And we all share the responsibility of looking for where God is moving in the world Mm -hmm. and pointing it out to one another, whether or not we're clergy. Um, But that our job is to just make sure we keep doing that. Right. Our our job is clergy. Is to keep reminding people to do that. Exactly. And, and so, do it by example and do it again and again and again. Yeah. And so the question really hasn't changed since Jesus told the story. Do we recognize love when it shows up in our midst? Do we recognize love incarnate? Right. Um, or are we looking for official documentation that proves that somebody is sent from God? 
<laughs> do we recognize love incarnate in our midst? And so uh, I mentioned Phyllis Tickle's work around mm-hmm. the 500 year rummage sale, yep. which is an interesting idea that every 500 years, our religious institutions have a rummage sale and they sell off all the things they don't need anymore that don't work anymore. And they just hold on to what they still need. And it means that it totally upturns. It's mm-hmm. like Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple. Right. It totally upends the way that we are right. church. And sometimes we find out that we sold some things in the yard sale. We weren't. That we, we need really back needed. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so she, so she talks, she goes through the whole history and I, I won't do that right now. She talks about, you know, when Jesus came along, that was a huge shakeup. Yeah. And then 500 years later, when we canonized scripture, mm-hmm. that was it a huge should. shakeup. Like these are the scriptures that, that right. have authority. Notice, and these are the ones notice that don't. The, in my, in the sermon before this one, when I'm talking about that Christ hymn, yeah. That's not anywhere else in scripture. Right. Which means that the original didn't get in there. It didn't get in there. Yeah. So so when Jesus right. came along, that totally upturned authority. Suddenly Jesus was our source of authority. And then scripture, um, which books were in and which books were out, changed right. how people saw the sources of authority about who Jesus was. And then it was the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church split but, because we had two popes at some point And we decided, well, which pope has the most authority? Because the pope has the authority. And he's going to tell us what right. we should be doing and thinking and all of that. And it ended in the church splitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 500 years after that was the Protestant Reformation and the Gutenberg Bible and understanding that everybody has access to scripture and everybody has the ability to understand scripture. Right. And so that totally shifted authority mm-hmm. away from the papal establishment and into the hands and lives of everyday people. And it's 500 years later now. And we are once again asking, what is the source of authority? Mm -hmm. Because we recognize that the scriptures that we thought were like the end all be all, like all of a sudden Nag Hammadi shows up and all of these other texts are found. And we realize there's more than one perspective that didn't get included. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Does that mean that the perspectives that were included are less valuable or that we need to read? You know, are they more valuable or less valuable? Yeah, it raises questions about, well, like, what authority does scripture actually have? Right. And how was it created and formed and selected? And And what is our relationship to it? Yeah. And so Phyllis Tickle's hypothesis is that we are once again shifting everything and getting rid of the things that don't work. And where she thinks we're going to end up finding our answer for this next 500 years is that the authority does not rest in just the scripture. Right. But in personal human experience. And so I don't think she's wrong about that. Uh, I think that that's why we have this emergence of spiritual but not religious folks. I think it's because they've, they recognize that there is this other way that they experience God's love in the world. That hasn't been encoded. Hasn't been codified yet. Yeah. And so, so that, that's, how they, that's how they're doing it. And we're really lucky because we're Wesleyans. And so, right. so we can say, woohoo! We, we've got scripture and experience. We can do, use both of those things. That's we really can, great. You can, we can use our reason. And tradition, which is the papal thing. And right. reason, which is a modern thing to, right. to be able to say all of those things go into how we understand who we are and what our job is. Our job as pastors is to create the spaces in which we all recognize through scripture, experience, tradition, and reason where love is moving in the world. Yeah. Whether we're priests or prostitutes. Right. Like all of us are in on that together. The priests remind us, though, of our own tendency to prefer the status quo and what is known and expected mm-hmm. to what is going to shake us up. It reminds us of our tendency to know the right thing to do, but not necessarily want to do, do it. the right <laughs> thing to do. And so the, the other question is, well, what helps us to get into that space as clergy, as Christians? What helps us to do that? 
And I think it's recognizing that what is ahead is going to be better. The love incarnate that is calling to us mm-hmm. from ahead is going to call us into something better than if we try and return to what's behind us. Right. If we, if we look at, at the arc of history, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, we can't look at the arc of our own lives. Yeah. Right. We have to look a lot bigger and we have to, we have to see a lot stronger that, that bigger vision that God has that brings us towards beloved community, toward the kingdom of God, however you want to. Yeah. Peace and justice, peace and love justice, and joy, love all and that. joy, all of that. To get there, sometimes we have to let go. Yeah. That's the example of all of our lives. I was just talking to somebody last night about, you know, all the times I moved as a kid. Mm-hmm. And how I have friends who are like, oh, how could you have done that? You know, because they had such a great experience in that one place. And I say, I look back and I say, I, I see the hands of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't the perfect thing, but it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it opened up different opportunities. And I know these people and I had this experience and because of letting go of something else. Because you weren't trying to return to what was before and you were willing to be where you were. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's our job. That's all of our jobs is to recognize where love is moving now and not in some golden heyday right. uh, or in some future paradise, but right here, right, right now, now. Where is where is God moving? Is it in John? Is it in Jesus? Is it in us? And where is our source of authority? What, what empowers us to do that work? And so uh, the sermon turned into the top 10 secrets of pastors. So what are the top 10 secrets of pastors? Well, first of all, I got to give credit to Lisa Jean Hefner, who's Uh, a retired pastor. Shout out to Lisa Jean. She's the coolest. And uh, she's currently serving nearby, uh, but is out of the Oregon, Idaho conference. She is new to her church. And one of her first times in worship with them, she shared these top 10 secrets of pastors. And then she shared it with us as clergy colleagues. And we all got a kick out of it. And I took notes. So (laughs) now I'm blatantly stealing. Steal like an artist. Steal like an artist. Blatantly stealing. Her top 10 secrets of pastors. And so here here they are. She did tell Lisa Jean she was going to do it, though. In Letterman order. Starting Letterman with order. number 10. Number 10. Number 10. Pastors hate boring worship, too. <gasps> really? Yeah, we do. Uh, we pick things on purpose. We pick things for a reason because they feed an idea that we're trying to get to. But we generally want worship to be exciting and engaging and interesting and fun. Uh, we want it to be something that you love doing and not something you feel like you have to do on a weekly right. basis. And we want it to be something that feeds people. Yeah. And there are times, and Susan, you can verify this for me, when we go to worship services that are boring, that are not led by us, perhaps. Uh-huh. And it's painful. It's painful. It's painful. We don't want to do that to anybody. Yeah. So, no. uh-uh. so if we're doing something in worship, we think it's because it'll get it somebody. And we know that not everybody gets at God the same way. Some people right. go through their minds. Some people go through their hearts. Some people go through silence and some people go through getting the work done. And so we try and incorporate those things into our services so that you have a place to access that connection uh, with God, with the Holy Spirit, with other people. So, so number 10, we hate boring worship too. Okay. What's number number nine? nine, We don't have any secret handshakes or special underwear. Really? But what we do have as clergy Uh, our colleagues, collegial relationships. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for us to get together as colleagues. So there are times when people in my church say, why are you always at all these meetings that aren't about our church? Mm -hmm. And it's like, because you're not my church. And in order for me to be your pastor, I need church. Mm -hmm. And so our collegial relationships are the places that we can connect and support and study and worship and do all the things that we need to do to have the support that we need so that when we come to you, we're not coming to you with all of our issues. Right. We can be present for yours. Yeah. 
And so that's yeah. important to us too. And that's one of the things that, one of the reasons I love being a United Methodist pastor is we do that so intentionally, both within and, and outside of the denomination. And yeah. you hear us talking about our, our circuit, which is our group of pastors that meets monthly, but we also do it with community leader, with other community pastors. Mm-hmm. And um, we form relationships over the years with people. Sometimes it's really, um, we form friendship with people that, on the surface, we don't have a whole lot in common with, but those interactions with one another really yeah. feed each other. Feed our spirits. And yeah, um, one of the things that I, I mentioned, I think at one of the services and maybe not at the other one, is that when you're a pastor and you are appointed to a church the way that we are appointed to a church, you become a part of a community that is not yours. Yep. And so you're there to serve, but that's not going to be your support group. And right. so, we, so we just need that. And so I told people, if you hear me talking about going to a meeting and talking to other pastors, like that's what that is. And it's so that I can feed you. And the reason that I serve on the conference boards that I serve on for our kind of region of the United Methodist Church is so that I can make sure that you never have a bad pastor. <laughs> so, so that I can you want me to be protect all of you from, you know, people who are unqualified or who don't have the Holy Spirit moving in their lives and are at it for another reason. And there are yeah. lots of, you know, wonderful sociopaths who try and get into ministry the same way as any other helping profession, because there's access to people there who are vulnerable and I want to protect my folks. Yep. And so, you know, that both of those things are important. Number eight, uh, I know things that I can't share except one-on-one things about generosity and failure, things about program, things about people in the church that I'm not going to share because confidentiality matters. Yep. And so there might be times when I say no (laughs) to something or when I try and get you to do something that you don't think there's any point in doing. Um, And you might wonder why that is. And I might not be able to explain it to you. Yep. Uh, And that's because I I recognize that confidentiality is hugely important. It's important for people to know they can trust that what they tell me is not going to end up in your ear. Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes for you too. What you say to me is not going to end up in anybody else's ear. So there's going to be times when I can't share all those things with you that you might want to know because that's an important part of our relationship and that you telling me things about your life doesn't mean I'm going to like you less. It usually (laughs) means I'm going to like you more because I'm going to know you better and I'm going to be able to serve you better. And so to not be afraid of, of that number seven, Mm -hmm. you can't shock me. Right. This is related to the last question. This is related to the last one. You don't have to be afraid of telling me anything because literally I've heard it all. Pastors are the original bartenders. Okay. Right. Right. We hear everything. And particularly in downtown Reno, we get a lot of walk-ins, people who have all kinds of issues from (laughs) just all across the spectrum. Right. And uh, it's fascinating, but there is no way that the thing that you are worried about in your life is going to offend me in any way. Yeah. That's okay. You can't, you can't, shock me we've heard it all we've heard it all and i have really funny stories about that too which i won't share because of see the last one (laughs) (laughs) anyway so number six is our job as pastors is not to make you memorize treatises or doctrines it's to help you form relationships Mm. Uh, we recognize that relationships are often where we see love incarnate it's where we see christ moving uh, is through one another and through our relationships with one another and the ways that we support and encourage and challenge each other And so our job is to create those relationships between people in the congregation. It also means in a church that's about the size that our church is, Mm -hmm. that we're on that kind of tipping point where your primary relationship is not going to be with the pastor. Right. There's too many people. I can't get around to everybody. I want to, (laughs) but I can't. And so my job is really to help you plug into a smaller group of people that can be support for you. Um, So if, you know, if I'm not 
there every second of the day when you want me there. No, it's not because I don't want to be there. Right. It's because I can't do that. So my job is to help you find those those places of support and encouragement for yourself in the congregation. And it matters when, you know, Nancy Wong shows up with a casserole after your surgery mm-hmm. or when Helen Nolte is willing to pray with you because you're worried about something. Or It matters when there's these other people in the church right. that are willing to come alongside and support you. Right. And they'll be there a lot longer than I will anyway. Well, and you know, it's not like you have special juju. I don't have special juju, which leads us to number five. I don't represent the Holy Spirit any more or any less than anybody else. Thank goodness. We are all created in the image of God. We all have our ways of imitating Christ. Exactly. Uh, I might have some training and some study around some of the things that we need to do together as community, but that doesn't mean that God works more through me than through doesn't other people. Doesn't mean that your answer is the, is the only answer or the best answer. Right. It's why we say it's okay to disagree with us at the top of every podcast because we don't have an authoritarian church. Nope. We have a church where, again, relationships are important and doing the work is important for yourself. But it, it doesn't mean that you have to obey right. the pastor. And believe me, my church didn't need to hear that more than once. They <laughs> They're like, yes! Pretty good grip on that one before <laughs> I got there. Um, so that's important. And then number four is related. Clergy get too much credit and too, too much, much blame for what's going on in the church. Yeah. Far too much credit and far too much blame. Usually things don't change because one person did something. Yeah. Things change because a lot of people are doing something. And so I would just ask people to have a little bit of grace for these clergy who are not perfect people, who don't have special juju, uh, who are just trying to do a good job and not mess up. Yep. Uh, and, and so the other thing I said was, so please don't keep score. When you think I've done something really well or when you think I've done something really awful, uh, it doesn't serve either one of us to do that. And not all pastors are the same. And so if you had a pastor that you really adored many decades ago, and no pastor has ever lived up to that pastor for you, it might not be because they're bad pastors. It might be because they're just different versions of imitators of Christ. Well, and also we forget sometimes that pastors walk alongside at critical points in our lives. Right. And so sometimes we can't let go uh, or, or, or my experience has been is that people are like, they were the best pastor ever because they're the one who showed up when your mother died. They're the one who and married you. And your mother's you. not going to die while I'm here. Yeah. They're the one who married you or baptized your kids mm-hmm. or like that there were profound moments in your yeah. life. And that was the person who was in the role of pastor, comforter, counselor for right. you in that moment. Yeah. yeah and that, that's absolutely true too. And the pastors also have that too. Yeah. <laughs> I also assured them that just like them, we keep plenty of score in our own heads anyway. Yes. <laughs> Anything that they think we've done wrong, I guarantee you we've already beaten ourselves up about it 10 hundred times. Right. 10 hundred is not a number, but I'm willing to go with it. I'm willing to go with it too. Yeah. So anyway, so there's that. Okay. Uh, number three, loneliness and isolation kill. Yes. Loneliness and isolation kill. I think the shooting in Las Vegas on Sunday night is probably evidence of one version of that. Yes. An extreme version of that, but that it happens to all of us at all ages and stages of life. Lisa Jean shared a study from the MacArthur Foundation by a digital ethnographer named Dana Boyd. And oh, yeah. by the way, digital ethnography is a job. You can, you can, that can <laughs> I didn't be know that title. one was one until I needed one. Digital right? ethnography. So cool. So uh, they did a study about teens and tech. And Mm -hmm. what they realized was that teens 
are not attached to their phones 24-7 because they like technology. Mm. Teens are attached to their phones 24-7 because that's where they find their primary relationships. Yeah. And teens need relationships. Right. It's also why teens who get bullied online take it so hard. Yeah. It's because because we're in a digital world, they tend to be more isolated already. And then if there's one way that you connect and it's the way that you're constantly being abused, yeah, it's going to send you into depression and it's going to send you down a bad path. Right. And so our job as church is to create spaces where people can have relationships uh, that are safe and that are encouraging and nurturing. And it is one of the hardest jobs we have. It is, I think, one of the only jobs that's important, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be incredibly challenging for us as people are more and more skeptical of what church is. Right. Just putting that out there. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. our job is to help people have life and have it more abundantly, which means to have connection, to have relationships, to have a place to belong and be worthy and contribute, and not necessarily to subscribe to a certain set of beliefs, uh, that we need to help people find a place to know that they are loved and welcome and part of the family. Amen. So that's number three. Number two, the great commission is go and make of all disciples. Mm-hmm. And what that means is not that you need to convert everybody to your way of thinking. Amen. That's not our role. Our role is to go where God is moving, to point out where love is moving in the world, and then to show up and help it along. Right. And so to be sort of midwives of love, to be workers in the field, like we don't have to be the corn that's growing. <laughs> we don't have to set ourselves on fire to keep other people warm. Right. We have to be alongside to help mm-hmm. make sure that everybody has access right. to this love that we have trained ourselves through study and prayer and worship and community to see, to notice. Go and make disciples of all peoples doesn't mean go and make everybody think exactly the way you do. It means Go and be present so that you can continually be schooled, discipled Mm -hmm. in what it means to be loving. Yeah. So there's that. And the final one, number one. Top secret. Top number one secret of pastors. We don't all have the Bible memorized. (gasps) But at some point we fell in love with it. Amen. Because we see in it our story. And it's a story that hasn't changed as much as our world has changed in thousands of years. It's the story of human frailty and God's grace. It's a story of innovation and beauty and relationship and struggle and sacrifice. It's our story. Yes, it is. And whether you're reading the Psalms and hearing people's grievances or whether you're reading the Gospels and hearing the challenge of Jesus or Mm -hmm. whether you're reading about maybe the guys that we consider the bad guys and maybe see a little bit of yourself in them Mm -hmm. when you prefer the status quo to... God mm-hmm. up turning the tables in your own temple. Um, and maybe maybe you even see the humor in some of these stories. Oh my just gosh. Just like there is such humor in our lives. Absolutely. Like the scripture is one of the places that we connect to where God is. And so not every pastor is going to have all of that memorized. But uh, we are going to be people who care about what it says and who try and share that with you and, and feed you the same passion that we have because it is a place where we find nurture and nourishment and as the vicar of Dibley would say, sucker. <laughs> so we find sucker for our souls. S U C C O R, not S U C K E R. Although we have some of those, we have some suckers as well. But uh, it's uh, it's good to know that your pastors are not, again, not homiletical harbingers, uh, not theological experts, and not always huge biblical scholars. But we're people who have training so that we can find resources that help us continue to ask good questions about what does this mean for us. 
our job is to just keep pointing out where love is moving in the world. And my hope is that we can do that and we do it better together. Yes. So that was the sermon on Sunday. Wow. The quote on the cover of the bulletin was from Edward Everett Hale. I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but I can still do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something I can do. Amen. So may you point out where God's moving in the world this week. Yes. Yeah. So thanks for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to what we've been talking about today, shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com or visit us on Facebook or at sundaymorningsleepin.com. The scripture for this podcast has been Matthew 21, verses 23 to 32. And the music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. It's traditional at the end of a worship service and at the end of our podcast for us to give you a blessing. Uh, some wise words that make everybody just a little bit holier. The truth is, if we had those kinds of words that would make everything better, that would make mass shootings not hurt our hearts, that would make hurricanes not attack islands, if we had that kind of power, we would share it. But we don't. What we have is the same thing that you have, which is some sense of God moving in the world and the eyes to try and notice where love shows up, the hands to serve when we can find it, and the community in which we can talk about those things and practice and train so that we don't miss it as often as possible. So whatever you believe about what the role of pastor is or what their secrets might be or where authority comes from this week, my hope is that you will choose to live your into your own skin, your own imitation of Christ by loving and listening and serving and seeking justice in your own way. Maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving.